morning, everyone. This will be episode 62 of the Strength and Success Show, and I should be joined by Riley in just a second. She will hop on and send a join link because we still don't know technology, apparently. And uh, that, there she is. She joined. Wants me to wave to her. I don't know why. <laughs> There's a request link. It usually takes about five to seven seconds for this to link up. For episode 62 of the Strength and Success Show, inch by inch, we'll wait for the purple one's presence to pop on the screen. That much better. There she is. See? Instantly it looks better. Hello. <laughs> so between uh, what's up, everyone, and hello. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, the patent is, I feel like it's my patent. Like, I have to, I have to, like, copyright it. Hello. That's my thing. You've been contemplating the hand tattoos, and I happen to see one. Somebody on the inside finger, in the index finger, it just writes hello, and I'm like, that would be perfect. <laughs> one letter shorter, I could do that, but. Well, no, not across the knuckles, but just, you know, on the index finger. So when you go to introduce yourself to someone, it just says, hello. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm past the point now of, um, people ask about tattoos a lot, obviously, because they're shown, um, pretty much anywhere I go anywhere unless I'm having pants and like long sleeves on but people always ask like um you know meanings behind them or whatever and I'm so past the point of having like any meanings I literally want a slice of pizza tattooed somewhere on my body um I'm gonna trust. yeah and crust we trust exactly um, <laughs> I'm gonna uh I'm gonna get a scream tattoo um I've seen I feel like there was one recently that I saw that like absolutely unnecessary and I was like, yeah, I'm going to get that. I'm so past the point of them, like, even mattering what they mean anymore. I just want something fun. <laughs> I just want fun stuff. The generational gap is what's different. Because most people are like, oh, my God, your mother must hate that. But if you've ever met your mother, she's covered in them, too. So. <laughs> yeah, I, like, just surpassed my mom in tattoos. <laughs> and you mentioned long sleeves and pants. The only way that's ever happening is if we're in Michigan in the dead of winter. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, I, I do like to wear like leggings on planes because I'm always like usually pretty cold no matter where we're going. But um, yeah, people always ask questions. They're always like, what does that mean? It meant that I liked it and I paid for it. And now it's on my body. That's what it means. It means I hate myself and I'm covering every inch of my surface so I never have to see it. That's what it means. What do you want? <laughs> so uh, inch by inch is our topic this week. Um, I do not remember which person I heard this quote from, but I really like it. I'm going to go into this a little further too as well. But he, it might be Bob Proctor. I don't know. Don't credit me for this. I didn't say it, but he's like, yard by yard, life is hard. Inch by inch, life is a cinch. And it resonates. Riley knows me pretty well. I'm very stuck in my ways and in my habits. I get a little grumpy if someone disrupts my schedule. Code word for it, he's a huge dick. But the piece with inches speech from any given Sunday it resonates with a lot of lifters. I, I put it in my story and I got like 10 DMs right away. Even like Juwan's like, yes, like this is the speech you listen to before you lift. And I used to listen to it every Saturday. We had Strongman Saturday. All my friends would get together and train when I was competing in Strongman. And it was literally the start of every workout while we were like rolling, stretching, moving was the piece of interest because it just got your mindset right. And it talks about, it doesn't matter if you're kind of making mistakes in life or what happens because you're going to, but it talks about the people you surround yourself with and the willingness to fight for that inch is going to decide how successful you are and making sure the people around you are also willing to fight for that inch, you know, because it's, and he talks about it being everywhere we need. We just have to be pay attention to it. The inches we need are everywhere around us. And we've talked about this often. People start looking at 
things so minutely. And yes, we're talking about inches, which is rather minute. But if you're not doing the little things, the big things aren't going to add up. They're not going to matter. You have to do the little things to feed the big things. And sometimes that's really simple things like going to bed on time, putting your phone away, putting it to disturb. You know, we talked about this a lot in the last podcast, having boundaries to where you have your own set time. Um, you know, there's no reason to I didn't eat today. There's no reason to I, I didn't have a meal with me. You know what you're going to be doing. Plan ahead. If you got stuck in traffic and you weren't planning for that, fine. I might give that a viable excuse. But if you forgot to eat before you come to the gym, you knew what time you were training, you knew when you were working, you didn't bring things with you, you weren't prepared. Those are those inches that keep you from getting your goal is a lack of preparation. We prepare for those inches. That's our process. And people talk about this and they don't understand it. You have to love the process. No one accidentally got successful. No one accidentally achieved something. They loved the process enough to make it happen. Yeah, it's uh, I love, I love that speech too. That was uh, from Any Given Sunday. That I think that was what I the last movie that I watched before moving from like North Carolina to Chicago. I feel like it's just like a good, a feel good movie. I have a soft spot for sports movies. Just growing up being an athlete and whatever, and I feel like it always, um, I feel like they always embody like a good competitive feeling that I miss sometimes. Like I mentioned recently, like I miss sometimes I miss playing sports for that like team aspect and how everyone's like pushing you forward and like uh you get more like being competitive is good you get more competitive because there's other people pushing you and if you're falling short then like the rest of the team falls short too because you're only as strong as the weakest link kind of thing sometimes that's what fails me and in, in with powerlifting I feel like because like yeah we have training partners and we have um you know we train in groups and whatnot but it's not necessarily that anyone else is reliant on me to uh, perform or whatnot. So like when I played volleyball, um, I was captain and I was um, libero, like defense specialist uh, back row. And like that was a big, being captain is a big responsibility. So if I fall short on what I'm supposed to be doing, then everyone else kind of falls short as well. You kind of, I'm supposed to, uh, for lack of a better term, like set the tone for everyone else. And with powerlifting, I don't necessarily have that like yes I'm competing against other people that are in the same uh, weight class as me and I like to win so you know so does everyone else they want to do great and what they want to beat their total and I want to do all those things but sometimes um, I struggle because it's not like anyone is dependent on me but me so I will sometimes like the things like hydration or eating will fall to the wayside like I have a, a sinus infection right now and also you know lady issues and whatnot and so those are all <laughs> lady <issues. laughs> they're all coming together right now to make me just absolutely hit me in the kneecaps with a baseball bat is what it feels like um so i like yesterday i definitely did not eat as much as i or needed to um so i like 20 30 minutes before bed i was like fine i have to eat something so like i ate oatmeal with like fair life protein powder and like peanut butter um and no no one complimented my traps yet but i'm not wearing a tank top and it's also one day early so i didn't get a pump but thank you we're all scared <laughs> she doesn't have the, the trap show and trapless yes um but anyway so like last night i you know like i had to deadlift today and i was like all right well if i don't eat tomorrow's be awful uh you know it's so like i have to have that accountability for myself um so that's one thing that i miss about 
I feel like I got off on a tangent there. But that's one thing that I miss about like team sports is that it's, I'm not reliant on anyone else. I'm only relying on me. That's why like, like last episode, we talked about respecting yourself enough to do what you have to do to achieve the goals that you want. Um, and like inch by inch is really important because like Trevor mentioned, it is those small little things that add up that do make a big difference. Like that's why I mentioned whenever an athlete has a bad session or um, whatnot, like the first thing I ask isn't, what did you do in the gym? The first thing I ask is, how was your stress? Did you eat yesterday? Did you hydrate today? All these things, because those small little inches make a big difference in um, your long-term progress. So making sure that, yes, while over-focusing on the small thing um, can kind of give you analysis paralysis. And if you're too focused on like very, very small minute details within like your technique, like the people that are like, my pinky toe was two degrees off from my left one. Um, so that was why I failed my squat today. Like people like that, that is being, that is majoring in the minors, like things that don't necessarily matter, but these small details are not majoring in the minors. These are the things that actually compound together in order to achieve those bigger, like long-term goals. So the inches matter, centimeters maybe don't matter, but the inches matter in the terms of your big goals. Yeah. You're, you really hit the nail ahead. Uh, the inches aren't what people think they are. You know, they they obsess about minute details as far as their toe angle, what belt they have, what shoes they have. I always roll my eyes. And I don't mean to be beating on anyone because I get asked all the fucking time what shoes I'm wearing, what belt they have. Dude, it doesn't fucking matter. The inches matter. And that's the fact that I get up on time, the fact that I do mobility every day, the fact that I eat on schedule, the fact that I control my macros, you know, those kinds of things that I can control. Those are where my inches are made what brand the belt they have, what brand the shoe I has. It doesn't matter. The best advice I was ever given from strength sports was the simplest advice from Keith Allison, who's a pro strongman I trained in his garage for years. And anytime somebody would miss a lift, they would ask why looking for some technical reason or some excuse or some cue. And he would just say, just get stronger. You missed it because you weren't strong enough, especially with raw lifting. We're not riding gear. You didn't misgroove it. You weren't strong enough to hold the position. Just get stronger. That's, that's what it all comes down to. And that's putting in the time, putting the inches together, Inch by inch, life is a cinch. So you just have to get those steps in order, make them habitual, be intentional about your schedule, and it will come together for you in time. That's what no one wants to hear in time. You're not going to get stronger tomorrow. There's no magic hack or trick or supplement that will make you mythically stronger tomorrow other than consistency plus time. I like that. Like the the answer of just you just weren't strong enough today. Like I like because like that's I think that's something that people have to accept. Um, you know, just because you want to hit, like, just because I wanted to hit I was going to hit a 500 pound deadlift, I hit a 500 pound deadlift because I worked for it. I did the things that I was supposed to do and it was there on the day that I attempted it. Um, and it's okay if you go for a PR and you miss it, that that's okay. You just weren't strong enough that day. It doesn't mean you're never going to hit it. And I feel like that's something that people need to learn to accept is that just because it wasn't there that day doesn't mean you're never going to hit it. It just means that you weren't strong enough on that day. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like there's, it's not, it's not necessarily a failure. Uh, you got one step closer. You attempted it. Attempting a max weight uh, is kind of scary in powerlifting. Like it's something you've never attempted before. It's supposed to be scary, you know? Um, so I think it's okay. And I feel like people that that is okay. But one day doesn't mean you're going to fail every single time you try it just means you did today yeah absolutely all right we've got some questions that are saved up from our store q and a's 
the live recording also allows you to ask questions here on the live recording. We kind of toggle back and forth and try to get to some. If we don't answer your question that was sent in the stories this week, we tend to save them and throw them in the next consecutive weeks. So eventually your question gets answered. If it's an emergency, you dial 911. <laughs> What's our first question, Riley? Okay, um, this one wasn't necessarily asked in the Q&A, but it was asked in um, my DMs by a client. So I figured I would bring it up. Um, it is, how do you deal with people questioning your programming? Um, it wasn't necessarily specifically targeted as like women who coach that were in, uh, that he was asking, but it kind of, it kind of trickled down to that eventually. So like, I'll let you answer your aspect of this and then I'll kind of speak on being a female coach who has to deal with this. Absolutely. We, we briefly discussed this yesterday and it is such a tendency for males to question the females who coach or program as if somehow the scientific information they're going off of and the anecdotal information they're gathering from their clients is different because they're female. That is so dumb. <laughs> if a female or a male has taken the time to learn periodization, programming, anatomy, structure, strength theory, science, and has applied the time to test it with hundreds of people to see a result and a pattern, what's the difference between a male and a female coach other than say maybe verbiage and temperament? Riley and I will use different verbiage and different temperaments, but the absolute foundation of strength, the principles that we're using for strength or guiding programming structure are the same. Neither one of us really created them. We just apply the ones that we've learned and understand and get the most experience of results from or pivot and change those and use other methods if what we want to initially use isn't working as we learn to lift them. It doesn't matter. But for some reason, the male ego looks at a female coach and says, well, she can't coach as well as I am because she's not as strong as I am, she's a female. Dude, strong is strong. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. If someone's strong, recognize they're strong. They did the same work at the same time. They studied the same information. They applied the same pressure you did to get strong. It doesn't matter, male or female. And it's such an ignorant thing to do to dismiss a coach because she's female. That's dismissing 50% of the world's population as being less than you when you could be learning from these people. Uh, an example of this. Forever in business, people would knock a female CEO as not being able to run a company. Over the last five years, the companies that had the most growth in the stock market of like the top 50, more than half were run by female CEOs. They're using the same information, they're using the same technology, they're using the same understanding, and they're leading. A leader is a leader. It doesn't matter what gender they are. Someone who wants to lead, someone who's capable of leading, someone who's capable of teaching, it doesn't matter if they have a penis or a vagina, they're doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, I don't know, my ovaries definitely get in the way of me uh, reading articles about how to get better with programming. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> At least once a month. <laughs> like way. Um, so I don't actually get too worked up about stuff like this, um, mostly because I'm relatively self-assured. There will be times where I get pretty, pretty pissed off about it because um, it's irritating and it's annoying, especially when I have a proven track record to help people. Um, I'm not brand new at this. I've been doing this for four years now. Um, it's not new. I'm getting better all the time. I'm improving. I'm learning from my mistakes. I'm asking questions. I'm searching out for new, um, new modalities and whatnot. So honestly, it doesn't bother me too much. Um, there's a reason why whenever I am talking about coaching, I never specifically bring up the fact that I am a female or woman women who a woman who coaches like it's just it's never something that i do because i'm not going to add that qualifier for myself to make it seem like i have to differ differentiate that from myself like i don't um 
I don't rely on that as being something as a, I don't want to call it a marketing tool for myself because that's not what it is. And like, obviously women kind of have to um, promote themselves a little bit harder or quote unquote, show off a little bit more about their skills in order to actually gain clients, um, which kind of sucks because it is like a relatively male dominated sport. Although I think women make up um, a vast majority of the lifters in powerlifting. Like if you were to look at open powerlifting, I feel like women make up a big majority of it, but I could be wrong. Faster um, on the female side than it is on the male side. I mean, there was a time when I started, you'd have one or two females in a meet. And now a lot of the Florida meets are more than 50% female. So I don't know if the actual even numbers or not, but I know it is growing significantly faster on the female side. Yeah. And let's be honest, um, majority of the Wilkes and the Dots scores and stuff are more impressive for women now than they are men. So um, suck it. But um, <laughs> like, as far as coaching goes, um, I generally don't give this uh, I don't really give this a thought. If someone has something to say, but they're too scared to actually say it to me or ask me a question, that tells me that they don't actually know um, the answer for anything like this. In this particular instance, um, he is being questioned by his peers about my programming and like why he's doing something or why basically why he's not maxing out all the time. And uh, so what I said to my client was, how much progress has that person made in the past year? Is it less than you? Then tell him to fuck off. I also told him that if he had a, if, if his friend had an issue, he could ask me about it and I'll uh, kindly explain him, explain to him what and why I'm programming the things that I program. Um, but I have no problem with this. If someone has a question for me and there is like, it's something about my programming and they have a legitimate question, I have a legitimate answer. I don't program things just to like throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. I program things intentionally. Um, so if someone were to have a question about it for me, ask me. And if you want to be condescending with me, I will be very condescending right back. And uh, you probably won't feel good about the conversation when you're done with it because I'm pretty good at shutting people down when they're trying to make me feel stupid. Um, that's something that I don't enjoy. And it's always going to be something that I probably deal with as long as I am coaching or doing something that is relatively male dominated. Um, even like psychology is, it doesn't seem like it like in school, in schooling doesn't seem like it would be more male dominated, but psychology is relatively male dominated. And so was marketing when I was in that too. So it's something that I've kind of always dealt with. And it's something that I don't actually put much thought into or pay attention to it. Um, because I want respect, I'm not going to dumb myself down to um, get respect, or I'm not going to uh, lessen myself in order to appease other people. I'm here for respect. I'm here for a reason. I have a track record for a reason. I have the amount of clients that I have for a reason. And I have the results that I have for a reason. It's not just by a dumb luck. So in that instance, if they have a problem, they can talk to me about it. So if you're a client of mine, then someone has a problem with my programming, they can ask me about it. So that's how I feel about that. Um, I think it's dumb. It's always men who just max out every single session and uh, don't actually make any progress, but they feel like they have a, they feel like they have something to say because they hit 315 one time in the gym and they benched 400 in high school or what the fuck ever. <laughs> these are, the funny thing is these are the same people who don't ever actually compete in anything. They just gym lift and bro lift all the fucking time and they have zero testicles to step on a platform, but they have enough beer courage to bash you. And it's like, do you have any idea the level she's achieved both as an athlete and as a coach? <laughs> well, it's also, it's also never to me and it's never when I'm around so like just tell me you're a just tell me you're a weak male without telling me you know yeah. tell me you're an insecure little bitch without telling me you're an insecure little bitch yeah 
<laughs> All right, what's our next question? Um, how do you recommend a conjugate lifter set up speed day? Okay, so there's different thoughts on this, and I'm going to go through a little bit of history of the sport. We've talked about this in other podcasts. Fred Hatfield went over to Russia and learned that they use a lot of what he termed compensatory acceleration training, putting maximum amount of force into sub-max weights and moving it as if it was your max weight and always doing that with inverted volume where you see those schemes where in, in West Side style conjugate, you saw 10 times two or you know 12 times three power with short rest periods. They were doing that because then you get more practice with the first rep and more power force and less fatigue. The way speed day is set up between the typical conjugate system for gear was going through the full range of motion without the gear on against the combining resistance to accelerate through because when the gear runs out, like you're leveraging the gear to get down, supporting yourself, and then when you got to come back up, the gear runs out, you have to overcome that inertia of the lack of support. It doesn't work the same in raw. Doing speed day for raw doesn't work the same. There are studies on this in Chris Beardsley's book, Strength of the Pacific, that shows speed day doesn't actually increase force production at all because the weights are too minimal and light. They don't increase force production. What they increase is motor patterning, the ability to create a pattern and system under full speed, which does help you, but only if you're in the beginner or novice to intermediate stage. Once you're past the intermediate stage as a raw lifter, speed work doesn't help you as is typically done in traditional conjugate. That doesn't mean power and velocity work doesn't help you. It does, but it has to be at a slightly higher percentage and it has to be a little more of a higher volume. And then usually you're dealing with a post-activation potentiation style structure where you're training the neurological aspects add in a heavy load without any accommodating resistance after that, once you've done, we were literally talking about this yesterday. So if you were to take, instead of saying 10 sets of two with 60% against bands, it's not gonna do shit if you're past the intermediate stage, but maybe escalating up in doubles, five times two going from say 65% to 75% then dropping the bands off and going for an 85% double with the actual weight, you'll have that force production you've created from the post activation potentiation, but then you'll also get the stability and the motor control without the accommodating resistance and you'll go from there. That was something Chuck Vogelfold did a lot. He, every speed day, he would follow it up with a heavy set. Whatever the rep scheme was, he would do that heavy rep scheme with straight weight without the kind of resistance to ingrain what he just built. So I think it's often misused when people have speed day in raw with light loads. That doesn't do shit. But unless you're using it as a neurological primer, which you would escalate up, and then after the so-called speed work, do something that's a little bit more neurologically challenging with a heavier load to ingrain that pattern. Yeah, that is 100% um, the way that I find it to be most beneficial. Um, with this, I do think that it does kind of depend on the level of the lifter. And um, while you can get, like Trevor's talking about, like you can get a good neurological base from learning to press fast or squat fast or whatever, or just learn to be faster, um, I almost never give speed work to a beginner lifter because generally their numbers are going to be in traditional speed work when you're using bands and chains. Um, generally, the weight on the bar is going to be too insignificant compared to the band tension or the amount of chain. Um, I'm not going to give someone who benches 95 pounds banded bench. It's just, it's not going to be beneficial for them. Um, I focus more on the actual like building aspect of trying to increase muscle mass and all those kind of things to start. And if it is necessary to teach someone how to move faster. Like I have seen some very, very slow lifts where someone is not able to generate any force. Then I will possibly prime them with something band related. So that way they learn how to jump or they learn how to punch off the chest or whatever it is, or just accelerate better into the lift. Um, 
but I prefer what Trevor is talking about to where it is like your primer. Um, and then once you take the bands off, everything kind of moves a little bit faster because you've already been pushing against the acceleration of the band. Um, but in general, I don't love banded dynamic days. Um, they, since we are not, since we are raw and we are not using a suit or anything, they create a lot of false stability because think about when you're squatting, it's forcing you into a straight upright pattern. Most people kind of don't squat in that pattern. Same thing with bench, straight upright pattern. Um, deadlift, it forces a pattern. Most of us don't lift exactly like that. Um, and so it is creating like a false sense of stability for you where you're not so concerned about your balance or your bar path or anything like that. I prefer chains um, because it adds an instability factor and it focuses on making sure that your torso has tension, making sure that you're stacked, making sure that you're braced. So if I am programming speed days, it's going to be probably chain based if I can, if someone has access to that. Um, but it's, uh, it's I, I did the nine by threes, the 10 by twos, whatever, 10, I mean by one. Like I've done a lot of those things before and like they're fun. Um, it teaches you to be fast and it teaches you to keep short rest periods. But I, the carry over to my actual lifts, I don't know that it helped. Um, it wasn't used, it's, can be, it can be viewed as like a deload. It doesn't feel like a deload. You're doing more work, uh, overall work. Like if you're doing 15 singles or 15 doubles, that's going to be more work or the same amount of work as a three by five you know, or uh, if you're just doing like a one by three and it's heavy, you're doing less. So it's not necessarily a deload just because you're, it's lighter percentage, you're still doing the same amount of kind of work. Um, so I don't know, it's a uh, conjugate speed days are one of those things that I go back and forth on because I'm like, wow, it really was fun. But like, does it actually add any benefit to the lifter? Probably not. Um, so these ones have to be very individualized based on what your level is, what you need, and what would actually be beneficial to progressing yeah following it up with some straight weight after that to make sure the motor pattern wasn't lost and like you said stability wasn't lost because when you use bands for too long you create artificial stability and then you don't have your own balance you don't have your own stability and then the issue becomes where you're losing the weight is you're not strong enough to stabilize it yep and if we don't have any stabilization we really stable is strong you can't really uh, be strong without being stable so yeah I mean, we say this often raw different than the dynamic effort but slow is stable you know, slow is stable, stable is strong. Sometimes you have to slow down to control the load or else it's moving you. So you just, whatever your, your style is, whatever your pattern is, like Riley said, whatever you need the most of is what we're going to push for. Okay. Um, advice on what to look for when switching from sumo to conventional. Um, don't look at other people who pull sumo and try and copy their style. You aren't them. You don't have their mechanics. You don't have their mobility. You don't have their motor pattern. <laughs> Sumo to conventional. Oh, sumo to conventional. I reverse that. Okay. So advice from sumo to conventional is understanding that, you know, the biggest challenge for a lot of people who go from sumo is it is predominantly leg driven and less low back. It's like 70, 30 leg to low back and conventional is going to be the other way around. It's going to be more like 35, 65. You really have to learn how to get that floor, floor break still with the quads and not overload your back, but you really want to start building up your low back strength as that vector. So I would probably start with more position and pattern work, like halting, uh, halting conventional and pause conventional to build that pattern of position. But then I would also add in a lot more lower back work to build and condition the low back up, like uh, weighted back extensions, things like that. The glued ham raise doesn't carry over for shit to sumo, but the glued ham raise can carry over a lot more to conventional because it's going to be a lot more posterior chain based than the sumo deadlift itself. So I would include things like resisted 
weight resistant low back extensions, uh, glute ham raises, things like that. A lot more RDL work or even um, stiff leg deadlifts off the floor with a dead slap in between each one so you can get those hamstrings activated. But making sure you still know how to use your quads off the floor, but really build up the hamstring, glute, and low back strength. Because usually that's what you see is somebody who pulls a significantly amount more sumo, like myself, tends to have stronger quads and stronger core. Somebody who pulls a lot more conventional tends to have stronger lower back, stronger glutes, stronger hamstrings, and they do quads and so forth. So you're going to have to start changing the priority of your accessory work to hamstrings, glutes, and low back, and less on quad and core. Or reverse the core to the posterior side, not the anterior side. The, uh, I mean, you definitely have to be patient here. Um, majority of sumo pullers are a little bit lower off the ground, faster at lockout. And a good majority of conventional pullers are a little bit faster off the ground and slower at lockout. So they kind of inverse there. Um, so that's how, that's why like positional things like Trevor is talking about with like halting conventionals, pause conventionals will be really, really important because when the lockout is an issue, that's usually a starting position issue. Um, so being able to find your, like your ideal starting position with conventional will be really beneficial to not stalling into the lockout so bad. Um, also, I feel like a good majority of people that I talk to have different um, grips with like conventional versus sumo. Like I pull better conventional mixed grip and I pull better sumo hook grip. So being open to like switching those up too, like trying hook grip, trying uh, mixed grip, trying whatever it is, um, messing with your stance, whether you want to be narrow, slightly wide, whatever with the conventional. Um, so being open to messing around with your stance and like your grips and all those kind of things will be beneficial too. But majority of the thing is just focusing on starting position, which obviously is important for both stances, but they're going to be different focus on starting position for conventional than there are sumo. Um, like deficit work can help with conventional because you're teaching you to engage your lats off the ground, um, get your torso stacked. The halting conventionals are just as beneficial as halting sumos because it does teach you where that you should be starting at the bottom of the lift. Um, so focusing on starting position is going to be top tier on that one. I were going to say this because if you go on YouTube and type in halting deadlift, you're going to see the opposite of what both Ryan and I like, which is the eccentric halt, not the concentric halt. So that's going close to the floor and stopping before you hit the floor with a pause there before returning back up because it's constant tension and position work. I'm a much bigger fan of eccentric halt than concentric halting. Halting deadlifts are almost an RDL, except <laughs> RDL hinge back. Um, and keep a straight leg with a halting conventional or a halting sumo, you are lowering the weight the same way that you normally would, just stopping just above the ground. So it's not quite an RDL, but it's the same thing where you're hovering above the ground. That is a question that gets messed up a lot. I think when you Google it, it shows you like a deadlift to knee or a Boris to deadlift or a Boris deadlift instead. So, um, okay, next question is caffeine in relationship to training? Question mark. <laughs> This is obviously gonna vary. Some people are more sensitive to caffeine than others. Uh, I believe the threshold for most people where it stops diminishing a stimulatory effect and starts being detrimental is three milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Uh, we all know I can tolerate about 800 to 1,000 milligrams of caffeine in one shot, but I am the exception, not the rule. So you don't wanna go with that. Most people will do better with two milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight. It will fluctuate. And the more frequently you have caffeine, the more tolerance you have. It takes your body, if I remember reading correctly, about 10 days, 10 to 14 days to resensitize the caffeine. If you have caffeine every day, it starts to have a diminished result. Caffeine itself is not actually a stimulatory substance, 
what it does is it inhibits the fatigue feeling you get from your nervous system. So it blunts that fatigue factor within your nervous system, which allows you to perform a little bit more. There are other central nervous system stimulants like ephedrine or in our sport, clenbuterol, albuterol, whatever, uh, DMAA, things that people can use to excite their nervous system. And I do. <laughs> but it, non-tested has its perks. But it's one of those things where, you know, know your tolerance, know what you're capable of with it, know what you can accept before meat day. Um, that's a huge mistake I've seen people make where they don't use caffeine at all in training or they use very little and all of a sudden they double or triple it or add it on meat day because it's meat day. If you didn't do it in the gym, don't ever do it in a meat because it's just going to mess you up. You're not going to feel good. You're going to struggle. You're going to get nauseous. Make sure you know what your level of tolerance is and what you prefer. Obviously, if you train late at night and you have a low tolerance to caffeine, it's probably not the best thing for you because it's going to inhibit your sleep. Caffeine has a half-life of about four hours, which means about four hours after, half of it is removed from your system. So if you were to take 200 milligrams at 10 p.m. to train at 11, by the time it's you know 3 a.m., you still have 100 milligrams of caffeine in your system, it might be inhibiting your sleep. So you have to really be mindful of that and maybe use other things like nootropics and so forth or just increase your carbohydrate intake around your workout window, whatever you got to do to have your energy up. But for those of you who train like super early in the morning or in the morning like we do, it's not harmful because it's going to pass out of your system by the end of the day. And uh, caffeine, of course, is the lifeblood of coaching because caffeine. Uh, I just actually did a video about this on the Culture News Show page. Um, specifically to, I like looked specifically to caffeine related to powerlifting because that's our sport. And if you read about caffeine consumption with like something totally different, like uh, marathon running or whatever, it's going to be different. So I wanted to look at how caffeine impacts strength. Um, the what I was reading is it's somewhere between three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight. That tends to be the beneficial amount um, for strength sports. And obviously that can be less or it could be more if you're crazy. Um, but it can be less if you are very intolerant to caffeine. For the word tolerant to crazy, thank you. <laughs> um, so three to, six mil three to six milligrams per kilogram of body fat body fat, body weight um, is what seems to be beneficial. And it is shown to impact strength anywhere from two to 3% up. So taking caffeine is um, a benefit to you training, like as long as you are not uh, over to caffeine, it will give you a stimulus into your pre-workout. It does, um, they were looking at like meat days and if it is a longer meat day, like a generally like a standard meat day and I don't know, it was six to eight hours long, whatever. Um, caffeine before squats and caffeine before deadlifts seems to be the most beneficial because by the time you get through bench is when it wears off. Um, if it's a relatively short day and for some reason your meat is only three hours long, you only need one dose of caffeine. Um, and then there aren't that many studies on actually like, increasing overall strength with the deadlift. There are studies on squat and bench and how caffeine can increase your strength two to 3% with squat and bench. Um, but there aren't as much shown for deadlifts. There's like trap bar deadlifts and there's like bent over rows and things like that, but there's no actual direct or very little direct deadlift studies for this. Um, but I mean, caffeine is a good thing, but like Trevor said, if it's impeding your sleep, that's not helping you because then you're not gonna recover. Um, properly. So making sure that you are aware of your tolerance. Um, I honestly am probably someone who only takes in accumulatively like three to 300, 300 to 350 milligrams of caffeine a day. I'm notorious for not finishing caffeine drinks. I'll open like a monster and drink half of it 
and then open up another monster later and only drink half of it. And that there is only 160 milligrams of caffeine um, plus a cup of coffee is like 70, you know? So I am relatively low on the tolerance spectrum of caffeine. Um, also depends on like what form you take it in, like liquids, like energy drinks are going to pass through a lot quicker. Um, powders pass through a little bit slower. So they give you a little bit more stimulus and a lot of pre-workout powders have like the beta alanine and other stimulants like that to make you tingly. Um, those I think are like 10, 15 to 20 minutes of how before it kicks in. Um, capsules usually take like 60 minutes is what it says. And there's other studies about like gum and weird stuff that have caffeine in it that go in like five minutes, but I don't know anyone that takes those. And uh, Hype 2.0 has an interesting substance that are called Dynamine. And if you're not familiar with it, it prolongs the half-life of caffeine, which is why it's so fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so it, uh, cool. if you're... Hype 2.0, you want that. I think with uh, the Dynamine, if it is, if caffeine's half-life is generally eight hours, um, it extends it to, I think it was 10 hours for this one. Can't remember exactly what the study was, but I think it was just an extended two hours or whatever. But um, it's a stimulant that prolongs it, but it doesn't actually stimulate more caffeine. So it's not like you're going to hit harder. It's just going to last a lot longer. Both that thing, they, they delay the half-life of caffeine breakdown. So it keeps you up a little longer, which is like Riley said, you know, the mistake people made in meats is having caffeine before squat, have caffeine before bench, and caffeine before deadlift. And you can only spike your nervous system so many times, and people who do that tend to shit the bed on deadlifts because they're tired by the time they get there. I only take caffeine before squats. Bench is a nap. It's an intermission before deadlifts anyways. So then I take more before deadlifts, and we have fun there. I pretty much, um, on meat day, I don't, if I have any caffeine before squats, it is uh, like coffee. Um, and that's obviously like anywhere that's less than a hundred milligrams of caffeine usually. And then I'll save an energy drink, um, before deadlifts. So Jen's the same way. Jen Rotzinger is the same way. She's a little bit more sensible. She'll take an entire week off of the, before the meet of any caffeine. Um, but she's just coffee in the morning to get moving. She squats and then she has an energy drink before deadlifts. And it's the same way. And she's pulled some pretty spectacular numbers and set a lot of world records. So take it from there. It's like, you don't want to overdo it just for squats, then bench and deadlifts. Save it for when you need it. Okay, um, earthquake bar to help heal a possible shoulder impingement, good or bad idea? Um, I'm not going to say it's either, but what I'm going to say is if you have an impingement, you have to find a way to unwork the impingement, and just having a, a oscillating bar that's going to cause a lot of rattling and shaking isn't going to relieve the impingement. Stuff like that sometimes takes some soft tissue work and identification of, of corrective exercises. Sometimes it takes joint traction, so there's like could be banded joint tractions you might be looking to do, or corrective exercise through a physical therapist. Just putting some bands on a bar and having an oscillate and shake isn't going to fix an impingement. Is it a good exercise to do for stability? Absolutely. Does it create help neuro drive and proprioception? Absolutely. Will it fix your impingement? I would never go so far as to say that because it's not what you would use to fix an impingement. It's what you would use to learn how to create tension and stability. So you're, you're looking at it from the wrong aspect. It's a good movement. It's a therapeutic one and it's a constructive one, but it is not therapy in itself. I don't really love the earthquake bar in itself anyways. If I program like a chaos press, I'm generally asking for it from a barbell. Um, just from past experience of like using the earthquake bar, I don't, I just don't love it. Um, I kind of feel like there's a degree of too much instability where it's like at some point they have diminishing returns. Um, so if I'm going to do any sort of like quote unquote chaos work, it's going to be with the standard barbell and then hanging, um, kettlebells or plates or whatever it is with the bands there because then there is instability there but you're still using um 
a standard barbell. So it's not going to throw you off so much that like, there have been some pretty nasty uh, injuries and whatnot with earthquake bars because they're so shaky and people just drop them. And that's very sketchy. Why are you setting yourself up for failure and training like that? You bring up a phenomenal point. This mistake was already made through the entire 90s in strength conditioning when wobble boards and balance pads and bosey balls and stability balls came out. Everyone's like, oh, wow, it challenges your stability so much. Do all your exercise, you'll be that much stronger. And the, the reality was it was the opposite. It was so unstable, you couldn't use significant load and every single professional athlete got weaker. It was a long-term meta-analysis study of all the studies comparing them. And while they were great for stability for some aspects or reducing wear and tear in joints, it was not meant to be a primary movement. It was meant to be a secondary or accessory lift to work on that stability. Because if you're doing all your primary lifts on there, you got weaker because you sacrificed load. So that's a great point of using the bar with bands and hanging kettlebells or hanging plates as opposed to using the earthquake bar. The earthquake bar doesn't weigh very much and it's super unstable. So the load you can use is very insignificant compared to what you would use with a regular barbell and hanging dumbbells in place. Uh, for instance, I have Jordan Longwood now. He has some uh, dyskinesis issues through his neck and his tricep from an, um, a nerve in injury. So he's finding that it's very, very helpful for him to control that bar. But if he used like an earthquake bar with hanging bands and bells, he wouldn't be using any load. You end up using like 60 to 70 pounds with the barbell, he's going to use somewhere like 135, 145, 155. And the biggest primary neurological driver of strength is load. So if you make it so unstable, you can't use significant load, you're seeing zero benefit as far as strength is concerned. Yeah, like congratulations on shaking a whole bunch, but you're doing nothing uh, for yourself, especially like over an extended period of time. Like if you're doing this for, you know, six plus weeks or something um, with an earthquake bar, you, uh, for la I mean, you kind of like wasted six weeks, especially if that's like your main movement um so if if this is injury related um obviously like you're talking about if it's an impingement then there are other things that you should be doing to work on that but if it's if this is taking it slow to rebuild stability after an injury um i feel like there are better things that you could be doing than earthquake bar um even like single arm dumbbell work i feel like it would be more beneficial to you for stability like there are just lots more things that could be added um possibly in addition to the work, like if you really, really want to work with earthquake bar, you're going to have to add other things to add in work for stability. Um, but if you're just looking for the instability factor of something like that, I'd prefer to do a chaos press with a barbell. So like Trevor said, you can actually add load to it. Enough load. And then the other aspect of speaking with Seth about this, Dr. Seth Albersworth, you know, we were talking about this. I don't love concentric tempos for the power lifter, but if you're coming back from an injury, you need to re-ingrain patterns and spend some time and attention to work on tissue capacity. That is a great time to tempo both the eccentric and the concentric because all you're looking to do is build tissue capacity. So if you are coming back from an injury, rather than sacrificing a significant, significant load with some kind of gimmicky bar, that's the time to start adding eccentric tempos and concentric tempos to allow yourself to build tissue capacity and then slowly reduce the tempo and increase the load week by week by week as the tissue capacity rebuilds. Yes. Okay. Uh, next question is good checklist for how to fill out your frame for powerlifting. Uh, good checklist for how to fill out your frame for powerlifting. Okay. It's, it's going to be one of those things where what is your timeline? So let's say right now you're a 181 lifter and you know that chances are you need to put on a lot more muscle. Don't get set on staying at 181 and maximizing 181. Get set on slowly increasing your caloric intake and adding more muscle through hypertrophy work and building yourself up to a 198. -er. If at some point at 198 you get significantly stronger and you're not necessarily lean, you can always diet down a little bit to get back to that 181 range, but you'll be bigger and stronger for it. I think the checklist is first, understand your timeline. Gaining muscle mass is a really, really slow process. Uh, I think from scientific studies, you gain like 0.1 uh, 
and a half percent of like uh, an ounce over like eight weeks of hypertrophy work. It gets really slow and it's significant. When people see lean body mass gains on a fat mass gain, that is not muscle tissue. That's anything that is not bone. That's blood, water volume, increased glycogen storage, and so forth. How you store carbohydrates. Just because your lean body mass went up five pounds doesn't mean you gained five pounds of muscle. You're a moron. You probably only gained 0.2 pounds of muscle and 4.8 pounds of glycogen storage. That's all it really was. And water fluctuations. So you just have to have a, a better timeline. Make sure you're actually following a structured program. Like Riley mentioned earlier, constantly maxing out all the time isn't going to add significant muscle mass. Using submax weights for significant amounts of volume is going to allow you to accrue more muscle mass over time. And every now and again, in each block, touching something that would be considered more maximal towards the end of the block, just to make sure you maintain that neurological pattern. But this is why I like to use accelerated block training. Cycle yourself up, but give yourself enough time with the hypertrophy work to build muscle mass. Um, the, the other thing is obviously nutrition structure. Know what your protein intake needs to be, know what your carbohydrate intake needs to be, know what your fat intake needs to be. Basically, you need to know and understand your macros and then schedule them. If it's not scheduled and it's not managed, it's not going to get done. You're not going to accidentally add 10 pounds of muscle in a year because you eat sporadically or you have a pizza once a week. That's not how this works. It's the inches we need everywhere around us that you've got to be putting in there. Inch by inch, you're going to have that. So look at the amount of body weight you want to gain. Figure out your caloric surplus and macro needs to get there over that time. You should not be trying to get there in one month. It should be more like a year plan, two-year plan, three-year plan. And keep consistent to that plan for one year, two years, and three years and see where you get. What you see in the magazines of these six-week transformations, it's been shown over and over again that's bullshit. That somebody who had a significant amount of muscle mass took time off away from the gym, whether being injury or literally just because they were paid to do it for their ad, and they added in that volume back and they have increased glycogen stores. They already were regaining muscle they already had. They didn't actually put on 12 pounds of muscle in that six-week period. They were just regaining where they were. Um checklist for this, I feel like in a simplified form is making sure that you're in a surplus as far as nutrition and calories go. And then second, um, I think it's, you know, you mentioned this also, but it's important that you're balancing your strength with strength work. Wow. Strength work with your hypertrophy work. Um, so, you know, like you're not going to build a bunch of size if you're only doing hypertrophy. Like at, at some point, you're probably going to be burning more calories um, because I feel like people I feel like people overdo this they go to one extreme or the other to where everything every single day is five sets of 12 and then they're just they're not eating enough to um, regain what they're outputting with their exercise so like a good balance of strength work between like that four to six rep range um, and also getting your hypertrophy work in like with your accessories or so let's say that your program like your main work is a five by five so you're doing your strength work. Maybe your secondary movement is a three by 10. So you're getting your hypertrophy work in. And then your accessories are still hypertrophy based. Um, so that way you can get a little bit more of the muscle bump. You can blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But having a good balance between both strength and hypertrophy work would probably benefit you more as far as putting on size or muscle rather than just focusing on one or just focusing on the other. Um, but filling out your frame is mostly going to come down to nutrition. Like if you're you can still be putting in these the strength work and the hypertrophy work and whatever. And if you're under eating, it doesn't matter. You're not going to put on any size. Um, so making sure that that's your number one priority is like hitting those macros that you need every single day. And like a standard, a standard calorie surplus is like 500 extra calories or whatnot. So like figuring out what your surplus is in order to gain the weight that you want and the amount of time that you want it is going to be number one. That's the first thing that you need to focus on. Um, majority of people ask about weight loss or weight gain um, in terms of programming. And it's like, 
yeah, that's important, but that's number two. That's behind the nutrition aspect. It doesn't matter um, what you're doing inside the gym if you want to gain or lose weight if you're not even remotely hitting the calories you're supposed to be hitting. Yeah, the old uh, bodybuilding adage that you're not a hard gainer, you're a weak eater is really the reality because people don't eat consistently what they have to. And then I would see people who are like, I can't gain weight. And I'm like, what are you eating? And you see they're eating like baked chicken, broccoli, and apples. Like, that's why you can't get weight, dude. Make it chicken thighs, make it rice, put some sauce on that shit, change it to applesauce and eat more. You're eating like a little bitch. That's why you can't gain weight. Gaining weight is the easiest freaking thing you can do. You just eat more. You eat more than your expenditure. It's really simple. Just track your food for a week, understand what your expenditure is, and eat more than that. It's really not hard. It's like the simplest thing you can do to gain weight. But if you're not gaining weight, it just shows that you're not actually trying. You're lazy and you're not trying. Gaining weight is simple. I can literally gain 20 pounds in one week. Riley has seen me do it about 10 times on weekends where I've gone out and gained 20 pounds in one week. Most of that's water and bloat, but nonetheless, it shows it's not impossible. It just means you eat like a little bitch. Yeah, I understand the thought process of like, okay, well, I don't want to get fat, but I want to gain weight, so I'm going to eat clean. But like, you're setting yourself up to be eating like eight to 10 meals a day if you want to eat like entirely clean. That's why like the 80 20 rule is like, what or like intuitive eating or whatever like that's what that's why most of these people do those things because like it sucks eating just chicken and broccoli all day and if you're trying to be in a calorie uh surplus that's a lot of meals like that's what, if you're still using like a low calorie um uh sauce or something and you're not adding any carbs into your meals or like everything is super clean like you're only doing egg whites instead of eggs and like things like little things like that um yeah you gotta kind of throw some throw some dirty meals in there and i'd hate that like people advertise it as like clean versus dirty because obviously you should eat whole foods that are good for you and whatnot um but like i don't know throw something in there that's fun like if you're trying to gain weight it's not going to hurt you if you have a, a cheeseburger um it's not going to hurt like once a day or something or if you or like i don't know if you like pop tarts for pre-workout then like cool you're probably fine to eat pop tarts pre-workout um because you're trying to gain weight anyways so like stop trying to be so uh harsh with yourself about how clean you're eating like it's it's okay you can throw in like those uh easy junk calories i guess if you want to call them that and sometimes you need them you need them to get your surplus that's fine if you need them you need them they're not necessarily unhealthy you know if you're having refined saturated fats like french fries all the time yeah that's unhealthy but you can add some healthier fats to things if you need to put some peanut butter on everything you know every shake you have have peanut butter with it you can have natural peanut butter and put a bunch of healthy fat in your diet too those kinds of things absolutely all right let's see another question um advice for staying in this long term and not mentally burning out uh we've gone over this a lot in many different ways and that's one of the reasons why we're you know championing against maxing out on a weekly basis using submax weights at times, having a periodized program and structure, giving yourself variety after meat is really, really important. We, we both like to do this often, like the block after meat, you might include things like farmer's walks or yoke walks or more bodybuilding movements, less barbell work, things that are less mentally tedious. So in a, in a strength program, as we're building towards something, it might have you know, your low bar squat, a high bar squat, and say like a Bulgarian split squat in the building stuff, and then accessory work might be like glute ham raise and RDL. But the post meet might look a little bit different. It might just be like SSB pause squat, and then it could be step ups, lunges, leg press kind of thing, which are a little bit less tedious in the body, but you're still getting a stimulus as far as hypertrophy is concerned. And then deadlift day might include just a little bit of, of, of deadlifting, followed by, you know, Zercher good mornings, which are challenging and fun, farmer's walks, yoke walks, sled drags, whatever. But giving yourself some variety after every meet, not maxing out all the time, and looking at this from a long term structure 
if you're dreading training on a weekly basis because it's too heavy or too hard or too tedious or you're hurting all the time, you're not going to last long. When I see someone in their 20s bitching and moaning about their shoulders, their elbows, or their ankles hurting, you're lifting too heavy, too hard, too long, and too much barbell work. Obviously, I'm not in my 20s as I hold master's records, but it's one of those things where it's like, I'm still doing this. I've been competing for almost 17 years in strength sports and lifting for 29, and I still look forward to lifting and I still look forward to training. It's still fun for me. Variety in that sake is really, really important. Knowing when to, knowing when to push hard towards a meet, knowing when to back down and do volume or different challenges are fun things. People get hyper-specific. Uh, I'm not anti-DUP. I just always say this, that daily undulating periodization is a little bit better in prep and in peak than it is for a yearly structure and program. Daily undulating periodization is highly specific. You are always doing your comp squat with either a pause or a tempo. You are always doing your comp bench. You are always doing your comp deadlift with like a pause or a tempo. There's not a lot of variation there. It's highly specific. And that's what causes the wear and tear and most importantly, the mental burnout because it's too heavy, too often, too hard with the basic lift. Yes, we compete only in squat, bench, and deadlift, so I'm all for prioritizing squat, bench, and deadlift, but if you make it the competition list all the time, eventually you're gonna start looking forward to them less and less and less. I take this one step further because the majority of the people that ask the question are people who put immense external pressure on themselves to um, be like someone else. Um, they, you know, like, Social media is great. It is why I have a job right now. It is how I got into what I am into. And it has allowed me to meet pretty much everyone that I know right now. So I love social media. But the one problem with that is, is that what we see most of are the top level lifters because they are impressive. You see them reposted on like um, Barbin, King of the Lifts, uh, Deadlift Till I'm Dead, all these other sites that you know, repost like the top athletes and whatnot. And these are amazing, incredible feats of strength. But the problem that majority of people that ask me this question, they are ones that are only looking at those outliers and they're only seeing them. And they're like, wow, I have been doing this for just as long as them and I'm not strong, or I'm not as strong as them. Or even on the reverse, I've seen people that are like, wow, this person just came in and they've been doing it half the amount of time that I have and they're stronger than me. The problem is, in this sport with burn, people burning out, I feel like is because they're so hyper-focused on what everyone else is doing that they don't even know what they're doing anymore. Um, they lose sight of their journey. They lose sight of their progress. They're, not no, they're no longer recognizing the fact that like, they put 30 pounds on their total since last meet to this meet, or they're no longer recognizing that they just hit a, life, a five pound lifetime PR or any of these things. They are not enough compared to these top level lifters. And like, to be honest, those are the outliers. Majority of us are not the outliers. The outliers are generally the 1%. There's 99 other percent. In, so, and generally most of those people fall within that. And it's not that you can't get to that level. It's just, it's going to take you a little bit longer um, if you're not an outlier. So I find that majority of the people that ask this question need to put on blinders. Maybe like, they may, that might mean muting some people on social media. So that way you're not getting so down on yourself about where you are or where you aren't um, in relation to someone else. But it is, this is your journey. It, it, we train with people, we have a good environment and whatever, but ultimately you compete by yourself. You're alone on that platform. Um, so you need to focus on what it is that you're doing. And as long as you're making progress, that's good enough. Um, and if you're still enjoying the process, then that is also more than good enough. So if you're enjoying it, if you're making progress, that's all you really need. Um, if you're burning yourself out because you're like, I'm not getting to this fast enough. I haven't hit a PR in 
six months or whatever, like, I, cool, congratulations. I went two years without hitting a PR. Like it, sometimes it happens. Um, you know, when you get to a certain level, it's going to get harder to put pounds on your total. Um, if something isn't working, you switch it up. That's totally fine also. But pushing yourself out of the sport because you're not someone else is a really, really lame reason to go out. If you like doing this, then you should continue doing this and not be so focused on what everyone else is doing and why everyone else is stronger than you, quote unquote. Uh, focus on yourself. That's, yep. that's all you I used to hate that, like when those sites popped up, like King of the List and De La Fontaine and Barben, and they'd post an outlier and you see a bunch of comments from people like, I quit, I'm done, I retire. It's like, really? <laughs> Just because someone's stronger than you, someone's always gonna be better than you in life. It's your job to catch up to them or to make a better version of yourself. But really you're just gonna quit just like that because somebody's stronger? Like, oh, I cringe every time. I guarantee you that like, even whoever the number one is in the world, like I guarantee you that there is someone at that moment who is also stronger than them who either didn't compete or they like are about to. You know what I mean? Like those those spots are cyclical. Like, you know, Generally, like the top five seems to say relatively the same right now, but like, I don't know, there's someone in a different country who's not even worried about competing that's stronger than all of us. The top <laughs> changes every four or five years. You know, the people who are there at the top five don't stay there. Either they burn out or they injure out, but they don't necessarily stay there or they move on to different things. It's like you said, it's cyclical. That, that top five will rotate every four or five years. You're gonna see a different top five come in there. Uh, to see someone like Ed Cohn do it for as long as he did is hard, uh, a linear periodization model. To see someone do it for 20 plus years and at the highest level is really, really impressive. Nowadays, you're lucky if you're still here within this four within five years. It says a lot. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that burnout comes more from um, like the, you make great points about, um, you know, going too heavy too often and whatnot. But I think that majority of it comes from the mind and how people just don't want to. Um, they're not patient. They're not okay with doing the process for a long period of time they'd rather have instant gratification and that's kind of where social media sucks it's all all right that's our time that's our hour so thank you guys who stayed with us make sure you're supporting the culture Nutra brand you can follow at culture underscore neutral uh if you need programming but not necessarily coaching you can go in and train her there's a link to both riley's program i'm oh, sorry riley's profile and my profile to the Cultivating Strength programming platform. Your first week is free if you want to try it. It's in there. It's on the Train Heroic platform. So download right to your phone. You get a weekly update as far as the program for the week and a deload every fifth week. So you're on track and on things. And then if you are on that program and you're five weeks out of meet, there's a peaking program that you can join into or jump onto as well. So make sure you guys check those out. And thank you everyone who shares the podcast every Monday. We appreciate that. It's really awesome of you and your stories. We usually reshare them. So it's awesome. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Riley, anything you want to add? No. Always no. <laughs> nice enough to ask anyways well thank you for joining me for the hour i appreciate your time too of course and i will speak to you later bye everyone